There's a story told about a uh, Sunday school teacher of kindergartners, and she told her students one Sunday, between now and next week, I want you to go and learn one thing about Jesus, and I want you to come back next week and tell me what it is. So they all nodded their head, pretended like they understood. So the next week came, and she said, okay, what did you guys learn this week about Jesus? Susie went first. She said he was born in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Tommy went next. He was baptized by John in the Jordan River, and then he went off into the wilderness for 40 days alone. Very good. Bobby said he got mad and threw the money changers out of the temple. Good job, Bobby. Laurie said he died on a cross. Well, then it was Johnny's turn, and Johnny's family was a little rough. He was known for being a loose cannon. The teacher asked him, Johnny, what did you learn about Jesus this past week? And without thinking twice, Johnny said, Jesus has a red pickup truck, but he doesn't know how to drive it. And curious, the teacher said, where did you learn that, Johnny? And he said, well, from my daddy. Yesterday, we were driving down the road, and this red pickup truck pulled out in front of us, and Daddy yelled his name and said, Come on, why don't you learn how to drive? And the teacher thought, You know, he's paying attention. But let that be a reminder to all the parents here that everything we say and everything we do, our kids are watching, and they're soaking it in. We've entered Lent, and Lent is the season of penitence. It's the season of soul-searching. It's uh, the 40-day period leading up to Easter, if you don't count Sundays, where we prepare our hearts and prepare our souls for that day of resurrection that will come in late April this year. Lent is a time to give something up, take something on. Try something different. Focus on something that maybe you, you don't do in your life ordinarily. And I think that if we can do this, if we can practice some kind of a discipline during Lent, then Easter will have that much more meaning for us. I've always been a country music fan. I grew up in West Tennessee. I listened to country music. I went to college in Texas, listened to country music. I've always liked country music. So it worked out well that I ended up in Nashville, Tennessee, the home of country music. But some of you might remember a song that Thomas uh, Rhett wrote a couple years ago called Beer with Jesus. Do you remember this song? It was on the radio a lot. It said, if I could have a beer with Jesus, heaven knows I'd sip it nice and slow. I'd try to pick a place that ain't too crowded or gladly go wherever he wants to go. You can bet I'd order up a couple tall ones and tell the waitress to put them on my tab. I'd be sure to let him do the talking, careful when I got the chance to ask. Tell me, how'd you turn the other cheek to save a sorry soul like me? Do you hear the prayers I send and what happens when life ends and when you think you're coming back again? I'd tell everyone, but no one would believe it if I could have a beer with Jesus. If you could have a, a, a beer or a cup of coffee or a lunch with Jesus Christ, what would you talk to him about? What would you ask him? What would you want to know? 
What are the things that have bothered you or that you've wrestled with in your faith that you think he could help give you an answer to? What do you think he would tell you about your life and what you need to work on, what you need to do better at? What do you think he would, he would say you need to be careful for and, and watch out for? What would, what would that conversation look like if you could have it in your own life? During this Lenten season, we're going to uh, study and journey through the Gospel of Luke. And Donovan kicked this off Wednesday night when he preached on the temptation passage uh, from Luke's Gospel. And we're going to continue it today and in the coming weeks. So I want to challenge all of you to take the time to, to read and study and reflect upon Luke's Gospel. Uh, I want you to do it in your personal life, in your devotional life. Uh, take the time to read this text because all of the Gospels have a different angle a different view of what Jesus' life and ministry was like. But here are a couple just quick facts about Luke's gospel that I want to share with you as we begin. It was written sometime around 62 or 65 in that window A.D. by Luke, who was a Gentile, also called the beloved physician. Most scholars believe that both Luke and Matthew used Mark's gospel as a source because you find so much of Mark's gospel in both of those. The other source they used is called the Q source. Luke dedicated his gospel to a man named Theophilus, who was a Gentile. Uh, one of the main themes of Luke's gospel is to reach the Gentiles, very similar to Paul's agenda. In fact, Luke and Paul were companions for a few years, and they even spent time together in prison. Now, because Luke was a physician, we find many, many stories of healing throughout Luke's gospel. You'll find lots of stories of healing because that's something that he wants to emphasize about Jesus' life and ministry. Luke shows us that Jesus is very much interested in helping the poor and the marginalized of his day, and Luke sees no limits on who the love of God can reach through Jesus Christ. So that's a very quick introduction to Luke's gospel. Today I want to raise a question. What was Jesus' agenda during his life and ministry? What were his priorities? What were his objectives? What did he come to do? And if we claim to be his followers today, as I think we all would say we're trying to be his followers, then what should our agenda be? What should our priorities be? What should we live to do in our lives? Jesus gets baptized by John in the Jordan River, he then goes to the wilderness for 40 days where he's tempted, and then he begins his Galilean ministry in the synagogue where he reads these words from the Torah. Uh, this is Isaiah 61. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Luke tells us that he rolls up the scroll, he gives it back to the attendant, he sits down and he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus chose these prophetic words from Isaiah as his inaugural address to begin his public ministry. He says, now this today has been fulfilled in your hearing. So let's break this down. What was his agenda? First of all, Jesus was a profoundly 
spiritual person, fully human, yet fully divine. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, showing that at the the center of Jesus' life was a profound and constant relationship with God. And Jesus did not have to be in a certain place or a certain situation for his spirituality to be evident. It was constant. It was always there. He was grounded in spiritual practices and disciplines, prayer, fasting, meditation, solitude. He prayed constantly, and he was not afraid to go off and be by himself, just as he did after his baptism for 40 days and 40 nights. This is very different, friends, from our world of noise and distraction and text messages and emails and constant interruptions. Jesus was intentional about being still and quiet and listening for the voice of God. He addressed God as Abba, Father, showing his intimate relationship with God. And he spoke and taught with authority, which seemed to flow out of his deep spiritual experience. Jesus was very comfortable in his own skin, and yet he lived a very humble life. New Testament scholar Marcus Borg says that Jesus demonstrated how God can be known in a direct and intimate way and not just believed in. God is not to be thought of as just a remote and transcendent creator far removed from this world, but God can be felt all around us as the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And just like Jesus, we too can feel the presence of God at any time if we're open to God's spirit. It's not just about believing in God out there, but it's about being in God's presence right now. But sometimes we're too busy, we're too distracted, we have our own agendas, we have our own things that we want to get done that we miss out on this connection. But this connection is absolutely essential to living a life of faith. Secondly, based on this text from Luke 4 and Isaiah 61, we can say that Jesus cared deeply about the poor and their plight. He says, he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. You know, it's absolutely true that being a serious follower of Jesus means taking the plight of the poor seriously. And unfortunately, there are far too many Christians who simply don't do this or don't think about this for whatever reason. Jesus was a member of the peasant class, and his message resonated with the peasant class. Those were his people. He had a heart for the poor because they were his people. And in Luke's gospel, it's called the Sermon on the Plain. In Matthew, you have the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, you have the Sermon on the Plain. He even explicitly says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. That's different from Matthew's, as blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus cared deeply and passionately about the poor. Now, addressing poverty should not be a partisan issue. It's a moral issue. It's a gospel issue. And there continues to be a lot of stereotyping that goes on in our culture uh, when the rich talk about the poor, when the poor talk about the rich. Things like, you know, 
People will say all poor people are lazy and they want to work the system. Um, and when the poor talk about the rich, they say all rich people are, are just jerks who don't care about anybody else. That's not true. We can't broad brush groups of people in our culture like that. That's not fair. That's not right. But as Jesus' followers, we're called to care about the poor because Jesus cared about the poor. We cannot read the Bible, the Old or New Testament, and not acknowledge the fact that God cares deeply about the poor and the marginalized, and God calls us to do the same. Now, where we often differ on this in our politics is how do you best do that? Give a person a fish, teach a person to fish. And we see all the different arguments about how we go about caring for the poor, but what we can't argue is that Christ calls us to care about the poor. Jesus says that he's come to bring good news to the poor. There are many children in this city who go to bed hungry at night with nothing to eat. How can we help address that? There are many children that are raised by addicts and alcoholics. How can we help address that? There are many children that grow up without father figures in their lives and they don't have anybody to look up to. How can we help address that? These are important questions. What does it mean to bring good news to the poor? And so as a church, would my Christian church, we do this with our resources, we do this with our time, room in the inn, Habitat Build going on right now, Nashville Food Project that was birthed on this property, Guatemala partnerships where we sponsor these children in Guatemala and help, help give them an education and a better life. There's a trip later this year, it's in uh, late October, early November, going back to Guatemala. If you want to change your life and see your own world through a different lens, I encourage you to think about going on that trip. Our new partnership, Fall Hamilton, all of these ministries, we help care for the poor in our community, and all of these ministries are important. We need to be involved. We need to support these things. Lastly, what was Jesus's agenda? He says, he sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. See, one thing that Jesus was keenly aware of is that every single person is held captive by something in life. It might be economic captivity, and in Jesus' day, the poor were often exploited. But captivity can be defined as anything anything that keeps us from fullness of life. It might be fear. It might be worry. It might be anger, depression, addiction. It might be regret, jealousy, materialism, the love of money, racism, bigotry, pride, death, grief, you name it. Everybody is captive to something and Jesus came to bring us freedom from these things. Freedom from captivity. We find ourselves captive to unhealthy relationships. I had a conversation with somebody this week that's in a relationship where they're being abused. Sometimes people are emotionally abused, physically abused, enslaved to debt, credit card bills, the money that we owe from buying the things that we couldn't afford in the first place. Many people are enslaved to their own situation, their own circumstance. 
Some are enslaved to mental illness. Depression has been on the rise, and they just can't seem to get rid of that dark cloud that hangs over their head and doesn't ever seem to go away. Some are held captive to loneliness, and they're looking for just one other person who genuinely cares about them, who loves them, and is there for them. And there's all kinds of research that shows that loneliness is on the rise in the 21st century. You know, many of us are aware of the things that that we do in life that are unhealthy. We're aware that we overeat, overdrink, overspend, overworry, but we can't seem to stop. We know that we work way too much and we miss a lot of time with our family, but we can't seem to stop. And so oftentimes we just keep on going down the same road despite the fact that we know we shouldn't. You know, we're familiar with those words of of the Apostle Paul from Romans 7 when he says, I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And we can relate to that. C.S. Lewis once said, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel that our spirits were designed to burn. And God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. Dick Ham preached in this pulpit one time and he talked about uh, the, the, the black hole syndrome. He says we all have a black hole in our hearts and we throw everything under the sun in that black hole from food to alcohol to work to pills to sex to you name it. But none of that stuff fills that black hole at least in the long haul. Only God can fill that black hole. And until we establish a relationship with God, we will remain restless and captive our entire lives. And we know this because we've tried everything under the sun and we can't fill that void. Jesus came to bring release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and yet so many of us remain captive and blind and oppressed, and we can't figure out why. So maybe this Lenten season, it's time for us to meet Jesus Christ again in a new way, a healthy way. Maybe it's time we let go of some of the things in life that that, that hold us back, that keep us captive. Maybe it's time we follow Jesus' lead and open our hearts to the transforming presence of the living God. I read a lot of N.T. Wright. He's a uh, New Testament scholar. He teaches now at St. Andrews, which is where Donovan did his uh, Ph.D., But uh, N.T. Wright has published all kinds of books. There's one book that I'd recommend called Simply Jesus. But I'm going to close with his words this morning because I think these are powerful as we begin this series on the life of Jesus and, and, and we start this journey through Lent. Wright says they were looking for a builder to construct the home that they thought they wanted. But Jesus was the architect, coming with a new plan that would give them everything they needed but within quite a new framework. They were looking for a singer to sing the the song that they'd been humming for a long time, but Jesus was the composer, bringing him a new song to which the old songs they knew would form at best the background music. He was the king all right, but he had come to redefine kingship itself around his own work, his own mission, 
his own fate. That's who Jesus was and still is. And as Christians, it is our responsibility to do what we can to learn as much about him so that we can know him, we can experience him, we can let him change our lives on a regular basis. And this Lenten season, I challenge you, I challenge you to do that. And if you can do that, what you will find is that Easter will have a whole new meaning six weeks from now. Amen.